0: I'm Jason,
1: and I'm
2: Maddie,
0: and this is Making Sense of Chaos. As human beings, we seem to only accept and search for resolution, but we also feel that we deserve resolution.
1: We avoid the unknown through any way that we can, any way that we know how, anything that gives us some grasp of predictability over our future, and that goes all the way from checking the weather to checking our genome sequence to see what diseases might be coming our way.
0: But really, it's all bullshit. Maybe not bullshit. Maybe just a way to fool ourselves into believing we are in control, despite the reality that we have none.
1: We don't even have the certainty that we're going to wake up alive tomorrow. And in today's episode, you're about to hear from someone who may be closer to that awareness than most.
0: It's psychologist Kira Ricard, who starts by telling us her story.
2: I'm 34. I live in Hobart. Um, I've had a series of severe and complex health issues, um, including a few, um, a few times where I really have been quite unwell. Once I very nearly died, um, and also in January I was diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer. So I'm terminally ill. Um, as well as that, I'm also a psychologist and really passionate about um, all things mental health and exploring what it is to be human. And when I got my diagnosis, um, I decided that I really wanted to have an approach of being really open and transparent. So when I saw um, the topic of the podcast, I had a bit of a listen as well. I thought, oh, gosh, yes, this, this, seems, this seems like a good fit. So that's, that's how I came to be on.
0: And Kira, the, the relationship between the psych world, the, your role as a psychologist, um, to the circumstances that you experienced early this year, is there a relationship there? or?
2: Yeah, there, there is in a few ways. So from a practice perspective, my work has been with um, really vulnerable young people with really severe distress and So when I was diagnosed and told that I was terminally ill, um, I decided that I couldn't ethically work with my client group anymore because the young people that I work with have already had so many losses, so much trauma, and it feels really unfair to ask them to form a close bond with me as their their psychologist. And we we don't just work, you know, a few sessions. We might work really intensively with someone for a year, I might see them every week. I could be their most significant adult attachment that's healthy. Um, So it seemed really unfair to ask the young people that I work with to form that connection with me with everything going on in my health. So I've actually had to stop work. Um, So I'm now on a disability pension. Um, Nice to have time. Um, I've really missed working. I've really missed the clients and my team at work um but also it's felt like the right thing to do and what about the emotional
1: side of how you're dealing with all of this has having a background in psychology helped you with that emotional yes. side <laughs> in what way
2: yes all right I'll, I'll give an example so um shortly after i was diagnosed i just started telling different people in my life my news and uh, as you can probably imagine people respond in a whole variety of ways. Um, Some ways that are really helpful and and validating. Um, I think my favorite was my boss who, when, um, when she got the news, she'd been on holidays. So, you know, I let news filter through management. She sent me a text and it started with a long stream of swear words. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought that was great. <laughs> and then, you know, lots of lovely, other lovely supportive things. Um, but, you know, some, some people's responses could be, um, <clears throat> you know, that sort of false hope like, oh, you know, well, they might find a cure or or you'll be right, you know, get through chemo, you'll be fine, maybe it'll go away. No, it's a terminal illness, it's metastatic breast cancer, it doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there were people who instantly would jump to problem solving. So, oh, have you tried cannabis? Apparently it's all about cannabis at the moment. <laughs> that's that's the number one medical recommendation, about, according to most people I speak to. Um, yeah, and then I had a few people as well who kind of really wanted someone to blame. Um so I I wasn't diagnosed with like an earlier stage and then later relapse. So I was diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer from the start. So it was found because I was getting um, a little bit of numbness and tingling down one leg if I'd sat for too long on a hard surface. And that slowly got worse and I started getting some pain. So my GP sent me for an MRI and that's how he found it, you know, quite out of the blue. It had just moved to my bones and, had started causing fractures and all sorts of things in there. Um, so when I told some of my friends, I'd get questions like, well, why did it take them so long? Why didn't they know? Were they negligent? <laughs> um, uh, you know, how could they have missed this? Um, you know, are you, are you going to sue them? And no, actually, my doctors are great. I've got a wonderful medical team. Mm-hmm. Um And then I sort of started getting some really quite intrusive questions as well that that felt really uncomfortable. And this was still very early. So, you know, I hadn't finished processing the news and people were trying to solve cancer. You you can't solve cancer, guys. It doesn't work. So at one point I found myself just getting these messages from a friend and I started having a panic attack. Um, You know, the the hyperventilating, the, you know, tingles and, you know, all of the things that come with it. Um, but of course I work with people who experience panic attacks regularly. So rather than feeling, um, additional distress about what was happening in my body, I could go, well, yep, I'm having a panic attack. I know what that is. I know why. (laughs) Let's just do, let's just do some exercises think about your distress tolerance skills from dialectical behavior therapy Kira, let's, let's do those. So, um, handily I got a balloon and started blowing that up and down to help regulate my breathing. Um, you know, rocked back and forth went and washed my face and just gave myself time to be quiet. And, you know, amazingly I felt better. So, you know, and I use my knowledge from mental health all the time. Um, particularly the idea of acceptance as well has been really important for me and mindfulness. And so,
1: I mean, that, that idea of acceptance and mindfulness, can you tell us a little bit more about that and how you've actually used that different to the way you would have used it before you had this diagnosis?
2: I can tell you, I actually um, haven't used it any differently. Really, Um, I tend to be fairly accepting person anyway so practicing radical acceptance of the fact that i might die well even though i hadn't had to practice it on myself it was something that i already had skills in um i'd long ago i've accepted that life's not fair <laughs> that um you know bad things happen to good people i mean gosh so much of my work's in trauma how how could i believe otherwise mm-hmm. um and so i i thought well this is crap don't know if i'm gonna live or not would prefer to live don't know oh well and you know essentially just um, mentally just went on being me I didn't really waste too much mental energy on worrying if I was going to live or not
0: the emotional you know philosophical toll that it had on you did you have time to go to that space during yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah
2: that that was usually around three o'clock in the morning okay. um, that was my time where I'd really do that processing. So, um, you know, I find for me that when I'm processing big emotional stuff, it's usually in the middle of the night. Mm. Um, that's just how my brain and body works, I think. Um, so yeah, I, I did. I, would um, you know, it, it's hard because I, you know, I'd feel my emotions in my body but I wouldn't really sort of row against them. I didn't do the, you know, this is this is so shit, this is so unfair.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, it was kind of more, for me, um, a process of going, oh, okay, well, if I'm going to die, do I have any regrets? Um, you know, have I lived the life that I've, I've wanted to live? Have I been the person who I've wanted to be? And the answer for me is very much, well, yes, I, I have. I've really... Um, you know, for, for a very long time, I, I've tried to make the world a better place through my actions. Um, I've tried to be a decent human being. Um, I've, you know, for me, the reason why I actually decided to register as a psychologist was because I had this idea that I could buy like, um, an RV and hit the road and go to really remote communities that don't have access to mental health (laughs) care. Mm -hmm. and i thought well if i read because i didn't need to register as a psychologist um in terms of career and jobs i'm also a rehabilitation counselor and i've worked in management like i had an established career um in mental health doing the work that i'm doing as a psychologist anyway um but if i could access medicare as well that (laughs) would be an extra funding source that meant i could go off into the wilderness so that that for me was was kind of the 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 little impetus that I had to, to go and register. Um, you know, I mean, unfortunately for me, I'll never do that, but, um, you know, I've, I've worked with people who are really vulnerable and I've done a lot of outreach work because I, I really care about that stuff. And, um, you know, and so looking back, I've really done things in my life that matter to me. Mm-hmm. And I've really lived with purpose. Um, you know, like, like for example, one of my hobbies is art, yeah? And I know there's a lot of people who love the idea of getting into art, but then they may feel nervous or anxious or they start and don't think they're very good. So they don't continue. Um, for me, because I decided that I liked the idea of doing art, but I just went and did it. <laughs> With no sort of second guessing. um You know, a, a, a lot of people get, you know, really caught up in worrying about being good enough and about, you know, being what other people want them to be. And, you know, when I was younger, I had all those thoughts, you know, typical psychologist <laughs> grew up quite perfectionistic. <laughs> um, but over time, I've really challenged that in myself and really worked to let go of it. And so my focus has been on you know, being who I want to be and doing what I want to do that, that's consistent with my values. So for me, the kind of three three o'clock in the morning realisation was, wow, if I die, you know, that sucks, I don't want to. And also if that's the, you know, if, if it's just inevitable, it's kind of just a, a thing that happens. I, I wouldn't be leaving the world with big, big regrets.
0: Mm. Yeah. So in 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 that space um I'm wondering how you sort of um you know whether you you do meditate on the fact that um a lot of what you've done a lot of your sort of your, your passions and your and your deeper purpose what will happen once once you're gone do, do do you think about that that space
2: yeah, I I do not as much as some people I think um Something about me is that I'm fairly comfortable with the idea of just not knowing things. Mm. And so I've gone, oh, I wonder what happens next. I'm like, well, I don't know. <laughs> um, and rather than kind of um, get too caught up in, you know, is there an afterlife or, you know, is there heaven? Is there hell? Is, you know, will I be reincarnated as a, a rat or, you know, any of those things? I haven't, you know, I've thought about it, but it doesn't take up a lot of my mental space, um, and I think that's because I, I don't need to know to feel okay. Mm. Um, whereas uh, I think maybe some people do. Um, I I just don't. So you know, I kind of I like the idea of leaving ripples and you know the idea of leaving a legacy and. Living on in some way, but I have no idea if that's just living on through people's memory or whatever else.
0: That's I mean, it's, it's to hear you say that because I think it's you know we 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 we've spoken to people and and you hear the the, the, the people really do focus on um, trying to figure out that unknown. You know, it it is almost their 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 life mm. intent to try to find solutions to that, I know, and, and but you, you seem so practical and clear around that you don't, you don't need to know. You, you don't, where, where's that come from? Where's that, where's that or attitude or mentality come from?
2: You know, if you think it, in terms of science, sometimes we actually don't know the answer. Like I'm not going to make up that lightning comes from Thor throwing down thunderbolts, because I see lightning and I don't know why um you know it's it's just I think for me part of thinking scientifically and it's not it's not like a it's not a, a thing that I I dwell on too much but I, I think that's probably where it comes from um but I also grew up with the knowledge that you know life's pretty uncertain um My, um, my mum's father was actually murdered when mum was 16. Um, they'd moved from Papua New Guinea. Um, when Australia pulled out, they'd moved back to Brisbane to be safer. Um, and he came across a mugging at night in Brisbane and he was murdered. And, you know, of course that had a profound effect on my mum. She and her father were really, really, really close, um, you know, and it, it was really difficult for her, and sad for me because I never got to meet my grandfather. Um, but you know, <clears throat> it's a story that I grew up with in the in the family. My my family tell it. We tell we tell stories. Um, we all do. And I think knowing that mum lost her father so young really, for me, helps me to realise that life is temporary. Um, mm-hmm. And you know that's just something that I knew from a young age, mm. as well. And so that kind of uncertainty has just always been there. It's not been a bad thing. It's just been a thing.
0: Right. So it was a, it was mesh in you before you can even remember.
2: Yep.
1: Yeah. And Q, what's that look like in your life since with your partner James?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, my husband James is wonderful he's just amazingly supportive um you know no matter what I do in life he's just like yes Kira go do that that's great I'm proud of you (laughs) like it literally doesn't matter what it is so I'm like hey James work work once when I move to Tasmania how do you feel about us going moving from South Australia to Tasmania okay Kira whatever you want (laughs) um he's amazing he's amazing like hey, James, can you make me dinner tonight? I'd really like this thing that involves like 50 million steps, but I really, want to. we do that? Okay, Kira. (laughs) So, you know, I feel incredibly lucky because, you know, already at times my cancer has affected my mobility. So if not for James, for example, I couldn't have done Pride March in February in Hobart because I couldn't walk enough to walk it, so I needed a wheelchair. Mm. Mm. but there was James dutifully wheeling me in a a very heavy manual wheelchair um you know th- and you know showering and helping with all of that stuff um for James he's a lot less comfortable with what with not knowing than I am um so he's probably on the opposite end of the spectrum he really you know he really really wants to know so he'll um go and read stories about people's near death experiences and um, you know, and he, he would really like, um, like to know. And when we've talked about it, um, you know, it does seem to be because he, he, yeah, he he has this need to know what happens. Um, And it's kind of an interesting contrast with my utter disinterest really. (laughs) Um, Like it's not, not complete disinterest. It's interesting to think about, but I don't have the burning need that he does. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's, yeah, it's interesting. And you know, at times like, you know, we'll have dreams of, um, for example, our dog who passed away a couple of years ago and I'll take it as something that's really beautiful. And, you know, maybe she's somewhere coming and visiting maybe she's not whereas my husband will go oh yep she's coming and visiting right that's so just like um, yeah for me there's kind of that idea that oh yeah maybe uh, whereas for him he likes things a little bit more definite um, to be fair I think most people aren't as okay with uncertainty as I am
0: right so in, in that sense the I mean you hear a lot that people are petrified of of death petrified of dying um you know do you do you feel any of those emotions or, or do you you don't
2: no i really don't um i don't want to die um if there's anything i'm scared of it's not about dying it's about leaving people behind
0: mm.
2: um that's That's the thing that worries me because for me, caring for the people in my life who I care about is really important to me. And I really don't like the idea of not being here to do that. Mm. So that's that's a lot harder. Like it's not about me dying or or anything like that. Um it's more just simply, well, I won't be here to to help people.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well find so much of your identity as well, like um, personal professional sense to be there for people and you're going to yeah. live
2: yep yeah. yeah exactly I think that's probably the hardest thing and I think for me I've you know I've thought of ways to you know manage some of that in myself so for example rather than just going oh I'm totally ill I'm just going to step away from my profession I'm staying involved um rather than going oh I'm totally ill I'm just going to pull back from life I'm not uh <laughs> granted I am stuck at home in, in COVID but um you know who, who else really within like a month or so of getting a terminal illness diagnosis and rolls at uni <laughs> I'm I'm back doing some creative writing stuff <laughs> you know, so I think, um, I think I've think i just taken the stance of just embracing life as much as I can while I can and also doing things to leave some ripples so that even if I'm not there, people can internalise, um, you know, internalise a bit of me as well.
0: It sounds like you, you have imagined, you have, you know, forecasted a world without you by... Yeah every day, you know, what, what, what you're doing, you're your writing your connections with people. I mean, I'm sure, I mean, the, once, once, once you put anything out there, that's impactful. It it, it doesn't go anywhere. It stays. And I, uh, and I think that's, is that, is that how you, is that your sort of your, your go-to when when, when you, when you, you know, briefly have that time of, um, uh, I suppose, concern around your mortality? Do you, do you, Because there's one side of me that goes, is it a form of escapism? Getting into your work and becoming, you know, altruistic and and caring. What's what's your sort of thoughts on that?
2: No, for me, it doesn't feel like escapism. Um, Mm -hmm. Escapism would be if I was working as a therapist (laughs) because doing counsellor, I literally have to not be in my own head. I have to be... Um, you know, really in the other person's world who I'm working with. Um, You know, when, when I've had difficult times in the past, and I've still been working and gone, crap, I'm relapsing. (laughs) I could be in hospital on death's door tomorrow. But here I am in a session with a client. That's Mm. escapism, because I would put my own thoughts, feelings aside and be really quite focused in the work. If I were also just focusing on things that aren't related to what's happening to me at all, that would probably be as well. Um, but mm. part of what I do is, you know, I write down how I'm feeling, I'll talk about how I'm feeling and also not ignore who I am in that process.
0: Mm, mm,
1: mm. And I guess not ignoring who you are, that's that's a really good way to put it because that's something that people spend like their whole lives trying to avoid. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. um, I guess Kira I'm interested when when you think about the trajectory in the past um, few months um, especially during those bad times do you think that the way that your relationship is with yourself do you think that relationship changes or um, was it something that was very stable and has stayed
2: yeah I've been really incredibly lucky to have a pretty stable sense of self from a young age um so for me it hasn't really disturbed my sense of who I am or what matters at all um it's underlined it I think um I think that's pretty fair to say but it 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 hasn't changed who I am
1: and it hasn't brought anything new to the way that you want to live your life.
2: No, no, it, it really hasn't. I think because I've, because I've been so kind of focused on living my life in accordance with my values for a really long time, I'm in this lucky position where if I like walked down the street tomorrow and got hit by a car, mm. um, you know, I wouldn't yeah, I I wouldn't have regrets and I've always lived that way. Um, Mm. And I think it is about how, yeah, how, how I grew up knowing about sort of my mum losing her father, but also um, when I was 10, my younger brother nearly died as well. He had meningitis. Mm. So, you know, I think in my family, I've had lots of these experiences that have shown me life's temporary and my response to being aware of that is to be okay. Life's temporary, so I'm going to really live and really do the things that matter to me. Mm.
1: Do you? And either of you can actually answer this one. Just question coming up in my mind while you're talking, Kira. Um Either of you? Do you ever think about what will be written on your eulogy? <laughs>
2: but I have communicated to my family that if they dare to call me a loser at my own funeral by saying I lost my battle with cancer, I might not believe in life after death, but that will turn me into a ghost and I will come back and haunt them. Um,
1: (laughs) I hate that phrase, like, I won the
2: battle with cancer. Like, yes, it was so much in your control. Yeah, (laughs) oh, I I can't stand this battle. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, the the whole, like, battle metaphor just... Oh, I can't stand it because the same it's really non-compassionate when you think about it because the process that that causes cancer is exactly the same process that makes life possible the cell splitting yeah yeah that's it you know it, it gets out of control but I I don't really see like I've never liked the idea of talking about having a health battle like I don't think of myself as an Evan syndrome warrior because I'm not a warrior. I'm just someone who's living life the, the yeah. best I can. And I think when, when people use this kind of language about fighting, there's, there's a lot of shame. Like, you know, so you go into battle, you get a terminal illness, you die, therefore you're a loser. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it kind of implies a moral responsibility. Um some choice. choice Yeah, and it just it just doesn't doesn't sit well with me and it it never really has. Um, you know, when I see that language it just feels really uncomfortable and quite quite hateful. Like, why am I in a battle with my own body? Mm. No. Mm. That's that's not not how I think of it. It, it. you know, for me some of that's probably tied up with um, you know, really caring about the idea of self compassion and being kind to ourselves and kind to our bodies. Yeah. Mm. so nothing
1: about battles have you had any other ideas or anything else that you've imagined um that might be in your eulogy
2: no no not really like um you know my husband will probably be too choked up to speak um <laughs> My sister would probably say something beautiful and very scripted. <laughs> um, my dad would use a lot of hyperbole.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, and mum might may or may not be able to speak. She'd be crying very hard, um, and you know my other siblings as well to, to varying extents. Um, I'm I'm one of eight, so there's quite a few of us. Wow. Um other than that I really haven't like my main hope is that at my funeral nothing sort of explodes in my family my my family's big which means we're complex Mm -hmm. um and I think that's tricky um but no no I haven't really like I kind of see that process as, as more for the living so my hope is that other than not using the the horrible battle language um my hope is that whatever people say is what gives them comfort right
0: yeah. right
1: i mean kira you've spoken so beautifully and i'm so happy we got you on as a guest i mean so much of this i would say 80 percent of this is not talked about in the mainstream um and i know that <laughs> yeah. other, other people will be listening it's going to eventually get to someone who is. In a similar position, similar um, kind of diagnosis. So yeah, first I want to thank you for coming on. Um, I guess I guess I did want to know, sort of as a last question, whether you would have any words for someone who was further back towards the start of of this whole process that you you're already you know well into Um, any. Any kind of words of advice on how to cope um, and how to just emotionally get through it? Well,
0: yeah. or, or, how to, or how to live because that's, that's what you're doing. You know, yeah. You're, yeah. you're not Pretty coping, you're, you're, you're living.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I, I, I am. I think for me the, the first thing is to... You know, when they give you all the forms just after you've been diagnosed and you can't even think straight and you can't even take information in and you realize three weeks later that you had fractures that you didn't even know about because you couldn't <laughs> take in the information. That happened to me. Oh. Um, <laughs> when when all this, because, you know, cancer can cause like fractures when it's in your bones. Um, so I've got some little ones that aren't too bad, just in my ribs. Um so when you get this deluge of information, just tick every box, say you want every form of help under some, just tick it. Um, you know, don't go, oh, I don't know. So I'll wait and then will No, just, just stay up front that you want every possible source of help because you can always edit down. And particularly, I think for people, if you, haven't been through the health system, it can be really hard to know. Like, you know, you'll get a form that goes, Oh, do you need physiotherapy? Do you need an occupational therapist? And you know, most people might not know what those things even are. Just tickle the boxes. Just say you want everything. You know, I, I think it's really helpful. And even if you're okay, go and see a psychologist yeah. or a social worker. Um, you know, like I think I've coped as well as anyone could with a, a terminal illness diagnosis that comes out of the blue and uproots their life. But, you know, I've still gone and seen my psycho-oncologist. She's discharged me now because I'm doing well and we mostly talk shop, (laughs) Um, which gives me a good sense of normalcy. So it's actually really therapeutic. Um, But do go and form those connections because even if you don't need support immediately or even if you're not sure, it means you're learning who else is in the team who can help you when you do really need it. And then you might have formed those relationships early on. So then, if there's a crisis and you need support right now, you already know who's there to help. So that would be probably my my first thing. That the second piece of advice is: it's actually okay to acknowledge how shitty it is. Don't try to be tough. Don't pretend that everything's okay when it's not. Um, if you want to cry, cry. You know, God. When I was diagnosed, I spent probably three days in bed crying at first. Um, and I was fine with that because I knew that I was dealing with really shitty news and I needed time to grieve and process. So give yourself that time and space. Don't, don't try to pretend that everything's okay. Don't try to deny that it's awful because it is really awful. Um, and just, just make room for those emotions and be really kind to yourself when you have them. Um, And don't be afraid to set really firm boundaries with people in your life about what you need. Um, You know, I I think most of us, um, you know, we, we do like to support other people, but when you get a diagnosis like cancer that you're going to die from, it's actually okay to go, this is what I need. This is what I need from you. This is what I don't need from you. Um, Mm, so I had like a few people who I told who I know tend to really struggle with big emotions before giving them the news. I gave them some things to read about, um, how to support people and said, Hey, I've got some big news, but I need you to respond in a way that works for me. Mm. Can you do that?
0: I love that. Um, Yeah
2: yeah, no big emotional explosions because, um, particularly for me as, as a psychologist, if I see someone having really big emotions in front of me, it's really difficult to just not actually go into like counselor mode and support them. Um, whereas your emotional response about my cancer is actually not as bad as my actual cancer. So I'd rather find other supports. Um, (laughs) that's, that's a hard one. Um, and, um, yeah, and, and I, I think as well, like don't be afraid to talk about it. You know, play the cancer card, get free stuff, yeah. um, fundraise. Do you know? Look at look at what's out there. Um, because when you are terminally ill, you actually have more of a voice than you might have otherwise. Yeah. You know, if if I say to people, "Hey, as someone who's dying, this is my opinion." Yeah, people are much more likely to listen. So own it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I love that. It's such, yeah, beautiful, beautiful advice and I'm sure so many people benefit from that. Um, Trace, do you have any last questions?
0: Um, I'm just sort of, I think um, I wasn't sure what to expect in this conversation and and I think your, your ability to regulate and be objective around your own personal emotional dialogue is you know you don't see it very often um and even in our profession you know even in professions emergency service professions that i've been in previously i, I haven't seen it um in the way that you're you're displaying it so i feel i feel um like i've learned quite a bit from just listening to you um you know and uh yeah i just want to just want to thank you for for spending time with us and, and having a chat oh,
2: thank you it's You know, it's a real privilege to actually be able to talk about this stuff and I'm so glad that you guys are doing the podcast because I think there's a real need for for people's voices like this to be heard. Um, So I'm really, really excited that you're doing it.
1: That was Making Sense of Chaos.
0: A podcast about death, dying, love, grief and hope.